Take your place with the others. What the hell is this? You wanted money? This is an authentic Chicago Italian beef sandwich. One of the best treats this town has to offer. Can, candy, candy, yeah, don't I get to do the iconic style and bold sophistication intro? And you can do whatever you want right now because I'm keeping everything. I'm not cutting this. I'm not cutting this. So <laughs> Hello and welcome to the iconic style and bold sophistication that is the agency podcast. Eugene here in Toronto. Dr. K. Dr. K here in Toronto too, but Great. I can't tell you that because I'm an agent. I'm a secret agent. <laughs> he is a special agent. A special no agent. doubt about it. That's right. And Candy Minks here special. in Chicago. Um, great to hear your voice, Dr. K. Fantastic to be heard in these troubling times that we're all living through. Very true. Um, listen, I'm hoping we're going to do double duty. I forgot to ask you if you had any poetry to read today, too. Now, Dr. K is a poet I've known since 2003. And we met out on Queen Street East at a couple of venues out there. And um, we've stayed in contact all these years, either hanging out or one time he put me up in his house for about six weeks, and I really appreciate it. And um, so we hope we get to read some poetry today. You're an avid um, writer. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your poetic past, how you came to be writing poetry? Uh, well, I won't be reading any poetry today because okay. I didn't think that that's what you wanted to talk to me about. <laughs> I want to uh, talk about tarot cards. Yeah, and I'm uh, uh, sitting here in my dark little bunker <laughs> and, and, and actually I do not have access to any poetry at all from all right. where I'm sitting. Okay, but, cool. uh That means you'll have to come back another day. Yeah, well, you guys do a good enough job reading it yourself. And, oh, uh, thanks. Like that. And I, I actually don't like reciting my poetry, oh. uh, especially as it's not meant to be vocalized uh, with um, with voice, yeah. it's meant for the voices inside of your head. Uh, much like mathematics are a language of the head, yes, or visually going into the head. Uh, my work, especially my current and, and later works, I've been doing this longer than I've been reading tarot cards, and that's mm. saying something. Mm -hmm. uh, it evokes an emotional response using what people in the past might have referred to as subliminals. Mm -hmm. So I craft sentence structures or stanza structures in a way that if you recite them, they will not elicit the same response as what you get if you read them. Mm. So they clunk, they clunk, they clunk. And in the periods where I actually do go out there and do uh, live readings, it's, which is something that's planned for, I have to write material specifically to be presented to an audience. Oh. And, uh, and, and let's be truthful, most people don't like bloody going to poetry readings. So, no, you know, they don't. They got to sit through the damn poetry, <laughs> some old shithead droning on in a monotonous <laughs> tone. And then what they want to get to is either the, the Q&A part of it, or they want them to sign the damn books and get the hell out of there. So true. So, so true. 
not only do I, you know, design or create stuff specifically to be vocalized in, in these events, uh, I rarely read for any more than 15 minutes ever. Okay. And, and usually it's about seven to 10. It's, right. it's that fast, which is why a lot of bands, uh, uh, you, you know, we're talking about, am I talking too much here? Not at all. No, just keep talking. So, you, you know, uh, back in the, the old punk days and in later days, you, you know, I'd be able to do the big clubs in Toronto mm -hmm. uh, because people would put me on in between their sets uh, right. while they fiddle with some stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and the sound guys had no problem. And, you know, the audience would respond to it because, you know, they want to get up, take a whiz, get a beer, do whatever mm -hmm. the hell they're doing. Mm -hmm. and, and it was quick, dirty. And yeah. I think that is best for live poetry as opposed to you know when someone's sitting around with their you know being all sophisticated smoking their cigar and, <laughs> and drinking their cognac and reading right. fine dr k poetry <laughs> or they just want to carry around the chapbooks and look cool and try and get laid that, that, you know, that, that works i, I do understand that your chapbooks get a lot of sex happening yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's, it's worse than that lemon gin stuff. Is. So instead of incels going out and killing women, why don't you order Dr. K's poetry and you'll probably find some love life. Um, uh, okay, so now well, don't you... bring up incels because, you know, for years, the, the early, or not even early, but latter okay. feminists hated my work. Uh -huh. And rightfully so. I mean, I've published <laughs> the things that uh, if I had in the past, regretfully, I might add, uh -huh. that had I published them now, uh, I'd probably be incarcerated, <laughs> and I don't. I don't think uh, Margaret Atwood would be defending me, going, "Oh, Kenny's misunderstood." No, he's a misogynistic little prick. <laughs> Throw him in jail for a while. Let's see how he feels about women's bodies then. You know? um, which uh, is kind of a shame. Sorry, I shouldn't even be laughing at this. <laughs> well, you should. I mean, you know, we're old enough, and it's the truth. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, much like comedy right now. Uh, poets and, and writers in general, but poets especially, they are they're hamstrung by what they can write about. And the whole purpose, what, what does a poet do at the end of the day? Do they play with words or are we navigators of the soul? You answer to me this We're navigators of the soul. So mm -hmm. if you're angry at someone and there happens to be a woman that broke your heart and you write something from the point of view of a male that has had their heart broken, then uh, that's what that's what the poetry should be about. But if you're in an era where no 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 that that that's that's aggression or violence towards women, you can't write that. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I I have some issues with that. Mm -hmm. So now I write about stuff that people go, what what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about, Kenny? Oh, it's a poem about uh, about the pen cap. You're going, no, it isn't. It's got to be about something more. No, really, it was about the cap on my pen. You know, it was rolling across my table, which is lopsided. And all of a sudden, I got a great poem about how life is running away from me because, you know, the world is off kilter. But, you know, they don't believe you. They think it's something more sinister. And then they accuse me of, of there being too much Masonic imagery in my work which means you're part of those evil Freemasons <laughs> who are trying to rule the world and oppress right. women and people everywhere. All this it's, is to say that you shouldn't level your table. 
That's right. And it's impossible to have too much Masonic imagery in your art and creativity in my world. <laughs> I, agree. I suppose I'm supposed to shut up and let you guys talk. No, we This is why I've that. never been invited on your podcast before. No, I, I don't know why we kept saying it. It's been tossing around. We've got to get Dr. K on here. And I'm just glad it's finally worked out. I certainly thought I was going to be in Ontario by now. And yeah. I thought we, you and I would have sat at the desktop together. and, and That was kind of the plan. That. There was going to be beer involved. There was going to yeah. be beer involved. And maybe even some Bob Dylan whiskey. So listen, what are we going to do here? Um, we're going to talk about tarot cards. Is that what we're going to talk about? I think so. I think you're going to do a reading of Eugene, aren't you? Good well, God. Well, well, why don't we ask some questions and talk about tarot before we even talk about... You know, now you mentioned beer. I got to get up and get myself a beer now. <laughs> well, this is why you're the doctor. Well, this is why you got to talk amongst yourselves and figure out what you want to know about tarot today. All right, we certainly will. I got will. a lot so, to say about that. Good, because I, I don't have right, well, a lot to say about that. Yeah. Get yourself a beer, Kay. And I think that I didn't, well, I don't know if, I didn't tell you on purpose, Eugene, that I was going to get him to do a reading, a card reading for you. All have right. you ever had your tarot card read before? Me? No. No, I have an irrational fear of all that stuff. Perfect. What do you have an <laughs> irrational fear of? of? Of somebody doing a tarot card reading uh, on me. Do you, do you want to tell me why you have that fear? No, it's irrational. I, I have no why idea. why you have that fear? If I knew, it would be a rational fear. It's That's because the tarot has been surrounded by a bunch of satanic witch energy woo-woo. And that is all bullshit. Now, granted, there are people that we can no longer call gypsies. We cannot use that word anymore because it and is we, offensive. Right. We don't have to go through the history of the words we don't use yeah. anymore. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, well, um, but uh, so immigrants, immigrants from the Balkan states were very important in bringing the, you know, the idea of fortune telling using mm -hmm. the cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, to the shores of North America and throughout Europe, but it's predominantly North America that uh, they were uh, instrumental in using a proper tarot deck. Whereas, uh, you know, okay, we, we got to go back for a okay. second. Here. All right, take okay, us let's back. go back. Because even though there's a history of tarot, when I first came across tarot it was regular playing deck a regular playing deck bicycle probably cards uh -huh. and yeah. the old sailors and fishermen not all of them but one of the old dudes would would you know he was a cartomancer as the cartomancy is what they call it and you'd have all these old blue-haired biddies god bless them all you know good baptists or good uh, pentecostals yeah and they would have nothing to do with fortune telling or, you know, and, and if, if you, heaven forbid, you walked in the house with a Ouija board, you were getting that board broken over your head. I want so, to see that guy walking around with a Ouija board under his arm going to a party. <laughs> you and I know that, which is exactly why every checker guy of, of a certain age where I grew up, actually, if they had any brains, I mean, it's like you don't need to be the, the sexiest what did they have? No, not mullets, but the feathered hair. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, like you had to look like one of the damn Hardy Boys. Like, what, what is that? <laughs> Sean, Sean Cassidy and sure. the, 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 the Turner Stevenson yeah. with that poof ass hair. Women <laughs> have the same poof ass hair. And I'm not using that in any dry. I mean, I understand. The hair is puffy. poofy. Even oh, puffy. Yeah, puffy. That's the word to use. You can't use I had an uncle who read playing cards. There you go. And did he ever read your cards for you? 
Uh, no, not me. I was uh, I was a young a youngster at the time, and yeah. he would come by at like holidays, like Christmas or Easter or something. And um, he wasn't a fisherman or anything like that. He was a bus driver, <laughs> and he was a very very quiet, uh, really elegant, dignified man. Um, but when slightly lubricated, yeah, deck of cards would come out. Uh, good chance was he ex military? I don't know. I really don't know that. But he would have had to come come across that skill somewhere, and someone would have taught it to him. So sure. anyway, this this was the thing. So when I first, uh, you know, and then I then I came across tarot cards from the hippie chicks before, you know, when I was really still young, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I was twelve wow. when I was given my first deck. Wow. And of actual tarot, which of course was a rider weight. And we add Smith to that now, which is a mm-hmm. good thing because mm-hmm. we all, you can Google that one up or you mm-hmm. can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But it's the lady who did all the paintings. Right. And uh, she should be credited for this. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm getting off topic here, which happens. Um, yeah. So one of the old hippie chicks, and uh, I think we're still allowed to call them hippie chicks because they were. You know, they, they was making granola and growing bean sprouts yeah, in their house. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Well, yeah, and was, they were fantastic, but they all, you know, reeked of patchouli and had tarot cards and always knew how to read them. So I'd watch them read them, but I want to get back to those old guys with the cards and the Baptist okay. women okay. and Pentecostal women. So yeah, they yeah. wouldn't do this, but later in the night when no one was looking, I'd see this because I'd be at the quilting bees and stuff, and one of the old dudes, one of the old sailors would start reading the cards. Mm. And boy, oh boy, they're all gathered around and interested in that. Mm. So in this particular case, the old sailors were using it as a, a woo-woo, here's the future for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the hippie chicks, they branched off in my mind anyway, they weren't worried about some tall, dark stranger, you know, entering their life. They were mm-hmm. using it as an introspective tool. Mm-hmm. So when I started reading it, because I still had my Baptist Pentecostal split upbringing, and mm-hmm. this is a lot of people don't realize I was supposed to be a minister. No, God. It was already planned that I was going off to theology school. Oh, God I save was, us. Yeah, I was going to be a Bible thumper. <laughs> and don't get me, I don't want to break your speakers and get going on a Holy Ghost explosion here. Uh, you <laughs> probably would do a hell of a job. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I always laugh at women. You know, I, I got the hands of a card reader and the tongue of a Baptist. Uh, <laughs> and if that don't get me laid, then nothing will. So, uh, I, I digress. So, when I started to, you know, post-puberty and old enough to properly be out there uh, hustling poon tang mm-hmm. is that a word i can still i can't use that word anymore that's fine. appropriate i think let's just let that go for now <laughs> yeah all right uh Don't you know yeah, you out there trying, trying to get some action yeah so the women the young women would be reading for me mm. and i kept my mouth shut I didn't want them to know that I had some, but then I started exploring and learning how to read myself, mostly from men, mm. which is, is rare. Mm. So I found all the old freaks and the sci-fi heads, and they were all into the mysticism and stuff. So, mm. so I was taught on the, uh, you know, the Rider Wake Smith deck, mm-hmm. 
And then when I was about 16 or 17, someone gave me the Crowley deck. And there were only the two growing up. I think mm -hmm. uh, I think U.S. Game Systems might have released one that was based on the Lord of the Rings. But other than that, those were the two decks you saw. And one was a light deck and one was a dark deck. And I split between the two. And now I have close to 100 different decks that I work wow. on. Both Did you shift around between the different decks? Yes, I, I do. You still have go-to decks. Uh, well, I have go-to decks if I'm doing a reading for an individual, of which we're using today is my my deck of the Rider Waite Smith, which I've had over 40 years. Wow. I've been working with this deck. And um, that's, yeah. So wow. to get back to why you didn't mm -hmm. want your cards read, mm -hmm. you know, if you go to the fair or the circus or something, you know, you've got a fortune teller there. Mm -hmm. They're doing, you know, doing three things. They're, they're reading a crystal ball, they're doing palmistry, or they're doing the cards. Mm -hmm. And usually they were very older, I hate that, older immigrant women, and the darkness and the smell of the incense in their tent and the, the unknown aspect of it, that would scare the hell out of any kid. <laughs> And then you get all the, you know, your, your Bible thumpers going on about this is a, a doorway to let the devil enter your soul and more crap like that. So, you know, it comes back to why did they burn the witches? Because they're damn sexy, because half the husbands were having affairs with these poor women, most of them widows. And the other women got pissed off and then they made all this shit up and burned the people that Just had like all the damn knowledge. And we're going to see this happen again. No. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really going on here. But okay. with the, you know, the, the pandemic and the lockdowns that everyone has experienced has just accelerated the progression of people getting in touch with their inner witch, both male and female, but it, it seems to be predominantly a female thing. Mm -hmm. And the inner witch is not a bad thing. It is a thing of power and knowledge. Mm -hmm. So the cards help people focus on aspects of themselves mm -hmm. i don't use them to tell the future because i can't tell the future <laughs> i can't tell you what i'm going to do an hour from now because i'm a goddamn gemini right <laughs> which drives everyone nuts well kenny what are your plans i don't know i haven't got any plans i might do this and i might that i might not do anything i might just sit on my couch and watch netflix for the next 24 hours without mm -hmm. even moving which actually doesn't sound like well, that. I was thinking too, I, you know, another fear about the tarot cards is, is that fortune telling? What if you tell me something bad that's going to happen? What if yeah. you see something about me like psychology that I don't want to hear about? So there could be that fear in some well, people as well. I'm right. willing to overcome my fears today, Good. here and now. Right. right this very minute? Right this very minute. All right. I am past them already. Okay. But how are you going to read these cards over the... Over yep. Zoom now that is an interesting thing because there's tons of people reading cards over the phone and they've been doing it since the advent of, of internet on okay. mass the computers even reading cards for you and pretty okay. soon you'll have an ai reading cards for you right. the ais are going to put us all out of business all right. the painters chimpanzees go players go players oh well this is another thing i wanted to mention about the uh, very big thing about tarot not to bore the shit out of you but go or chess, you can never, even if you're a grand master, mm -hmm. you can never know everything there is to know about it. And tarot is very much that way. Mm. It is never ending. 
the when you get into the whole Kabbalistic and the numerological, uh, uh, bleh, sorry, <laughs> my beer's making me mispronounce the ah, mispronounce that word. But you, you get into the various esoteric levels mm -hmm. of the tarot, and you know you might be on your deathbed and go, "Well, I still didn't learn ten percent of it." Mm. Now, and there are there are some people who know their tarot well, mm -hmm. far better than mm -hmm. a tarot master. Okay. I use the tarot much differently than other people. Uh, so that's that's something I, I wanted to mention to you because of your obsession with go. Okay. Now, the banjo, that's another thing. I think you could learn everything you need to know about the banjo or an accordion in about five minutes tops with some petrol and a good match. <laughs> that's it. We, we got that covered. So, sure seen that one coming. Well, you know, you know, the question is what do banjos and oboes have in common? I'm waiting. They, 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 they both make great kindling for an accordion fire. Oh, I love it. But I don't mind the oboe. What's, what's wrong with the oboe? Matter of fact, what is an oboe? I'm going to have to Google that. I'm missing something in this joke here. I don't know. I think the You can do research on the joke later. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes later on. Don't work. So, um, yeah, to get to you on this one with long distance uh, reading and such. Uh, when you get to Reiki, which uh, is an entirely different kettle of fish, but it's energy work, energy work. And it has to do, in the case of Reiki, you don't set intentions, you channel energy. In the case of tarot, it's still a transference of energy but it's done with intent. So what I'm going to need you to do, Eugene, is either focus on a candle or something that's on your table. And I need you to send your energy over my way. And while I'm shuffling the cards, I'm thinking about you and sending my thoughts and energy your way. It don't matter if you think it's, it's woo-woo bunkum. It's the way we're going to do it. Okay. I'm there. Right. I'm focusing. Oh, you're focusing. I'm still I'm focus talking. You're supposed to wait till I'm no. So I'm gonna shuffle here, and I don't do any of those fancy. I don't even know how you describe those two, two carded things that bend the cards all the crap and make that funny sound. All right, Are you ready? I'm ready. We're cutting the deck. So make a hand motion like we're cutting the deck. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do for you today so your listeners are not bored to death is a three-card spread. And the three-card spread is being put out in front of me right now. It's three cards. The first card has to deal with a past situation. The second card is your present. And your third card is a future thing. And I don't need a question from you. I don't need anything. You ready? Ready. I'm going to do this fast. All right, we have a bitch of a card here right now. Matter of fact, you should just go back to bed. <laughs> now, no, no, you know what it is. It's the Nine of Swords reversed. And the Nine of Swords reversed or inverted is just miserable. Now, are you familiar with what the Nine of Swords is? No. All right, you got someone in grief halfway under a blanket with poppies or roses on it with Nine Swords right above its head 
or her head, his head, I, you know, it's interchangeable in this particular case. And it is just, oh, you, you know, it's the kind of inner turmoil as a result of both your consciousness and your subconscious mind and how your negative thoughts are just taking you right down into the well. Now, this is where we've all, this is not, I mean, it is a horrible card, but <laughs> it's natural. We've all been through this in the last year and a bit. And even without the pandemic, you know, uh, we go through shit. You know, we bang ourselves up, we fail, people pass that we love and we feel that horrible pain. No, alas, this is in the past. You know, this this stuff you were dealing with could be could be yesterday, could have been the last year. It could have been this morning when you stubbed your toe on something. So the meaning of these cards and the actual time frames of them, very variable and very personable and interchangeable. Mm -hmm. You follow me there? Yep. Am I talking too much again? Keep talking. Oh. All right. So here we are with the current situation of where stuff is, not yesterday. And now we've got a beautiful, beautiful card, which is the King of Pentacles. Unfortunately, it also is reversed, which means that you're having more thoughts of the mind that are going in a way that you don't actually want them to be going. Mm. You helping me out here? I, I mean, am mm, I yeah, even okay. on the, you know, you know, some people call the Pentacles coins. So it comes down to being, you know, monetary. So maybe you're having some issues where you're going, okay, you know, have I put enough, have I put enough aside for the future? You know, am I managing my wealth in the proper way? Sure. Uh, you know, is the post office screwing me over on my pension? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So these might be on your mind. Again, not a bad card. It's asking you to look at something if it's worrying you or concerning you and make sure everything's in order mm -hmm. again not a bad card you following following yeah are you going bankrupt there boy no he's probably bought too many banjos Whoa. <laughs> i hope you got insurance on those suckers <laughs> man one in one of those days you'll see one of the never mind you know fetch fetch george fetch. <laughs> here's the future situation and it is a beautiful, beautiful card. The Six of Wands. And the Six of Wands shows this dude with a big ass, you know, he's got the flowers on his head and he's on the white horse and he's got his staff in his hand with a lovely wreath on it and people are waving at him as he's going through the village. It shows that things are going good. However, because the horse is still in motion, there's more work to be done. But that doesn't mean you can't take a little break for a second and feel good about what you've done. In this particular case, with this three-card spread, the past, the present, and this future, looking back, is like, you know what? I did take care of the monetary situation, and we're sitting okay. And, yeah, you know all this pain and crap that I was feeling from, be it personal or just the world being absolutely screwed up, I got through it. My lady got through it. The cats got through it. The dogs got through it. We're doing all right. Of course, we're going to have to keep working because we are cogs in the machine. We are not the big elite. We got to work to the bone until we are dead. <laughs> Does that help you? Man. It helped me. <laughs> <laughs> there. 
Yeah, if you were looking for some of that cheery ass shit, you came to the wrong oracle, boy. <laughs> what else do we want to talk about today? Well, I'm really fascinated by these these gentlemen that you said that you learned um, tarot from, and I I think there's a movie character in there. Um, I'm I'm really interested about that the shanty card reading and anything else you could tell us about, or is there a book you could recommend to read about it, or is it just it's probably a lost um, pastime? No, no. But, um, growing up in, in Nova Scotia on the shore, I was supposed mm. to be in the city on the shore. Mm -hmm. uh, the old fishermen, and, and you know, maybe they weren't that old. They seemed old to me. <laughs> uh, I, you could read a book about cardamancy. They mm. exist. I can't recommend one off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. They're usually now. If you get an overview of the history of tarot, there is usually a section or two that deals with how those spreads and the meanings and the positions work but uh there's got to be someone out there with that art yeah yeah I doubt it's the same as the old fisherman um okay. but then again i haven't been back home in a very long time so i mean if you're ever in the maritimes you know newfoundland or, or nova scotia uh i don't know if they can read new brunswick and pei everyone's oh got too many mushrooms over there so uh <laughs> That's a maritime thing. I'm allowed mm -hmm, to say that. Mm -hmm. Maybe, um, maybe I, I think we have a couple of listeners on the East Coast. Do they know any um, old men reading tarot cards or fishers? Well, well these were old cards. men when I was young, young. Right, right. So uh, I don't know if that will be an art that still exists I in know. that sense. It's so but I think it passed down like fiddle playing. Right. Like fiddle playing, yeah. Right. No, they, those guys never actually taught me how to read. It was observations uh -huh. of how they read for others. And then uh -huh. there, there was a day where an old lobster uh, fisherman read for me. And I would have been about seven or eight. And uh, I, I was fascinated by mm. his ability to tell a story with the cards. And right. ultimately, that's what the cards do. They tell a story yeah. of us coming into the world and starting our journey, mm. be it, you know, the physical or the metaphysical, spiritual, you know, it covers all grounds. Mm -hmm. And then we get to a point where, you know, the snake eating its tail. It's like, yeah, we've no, no sooner have we completed this journey than we start another. Right. Uh, and that goes into, you know, the major arcana, which is your kings or, or your big cards. Uh, your moons, your judgments and stuff are all aspects of the story. Mm. And it just keeps going and going. Um, and as far as the men who taught me, uh, like Spider Robinson, I don't know if you know him. He's a Canadian yep. author, very famous. Yep. And uh, he used to dabble with them. And I remember putting back some brews and while he had his guitar out, but also him fiddling with the tarot while Gina's wife uh, was there. Um, and yeah, pretty much anyone in alternative culture which you know even folk music believe it or not was considered alternative culture growing Absolutely. up uh, you know because they were still in the, the the protest mode right of what folk was really about and you know with the great lineage to the sea shanties which mm -hmm. is ultimately where folk music mm -hmm. in my mind this can be argued by musicologists out the yin yang but uh am i allowed to use that still yes i am mm -hmm. uh, you, you might have to call this episode am i allowed to use that 
Yeah, I'm not allowed. Am I, am I allowed to use that? So, uh, yeah, that's uh, where am I going with that? Yeah, you couldn't go to the Atlantic Folk Festival without seeing tons of tarot cards. Oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, they're one in one. But again, I think people were telling stories like a good sea shanty does, um, and that that affected my lyrical writing. Uh, very much so because a, a lot of the songs that Nash recorded of mine are story songs mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, woo, 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 I love you, woo, 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 oh boy, everything's good, woo, woo, woo. Right. Um, right. That, you know, which is, can be a great song, but this, the, the lyrics I wrote for them, simple as they were, tell a tiny story. Right. Uh, if you look at Dylan's work, uh, there was a lot of that in the early days. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And how did we get there? Yeah. I don't know, but um, I've been surprised how many people just around Chicago that I've, I've found out that I might mention, hey, do you know anything about tarot cards? Because Blood Meridian has some tarot cards in it. And I've had to go to some people and say, what does this mean and what do they mean? And I've been surprised how many people are like, yeah, I do practice tarot cards. I read them for myself or my friends. And I'm, I'm amazed. Now, if you were going to do a session, because I know you're doing online sessions with people, Mm -hmm. how, how many cards will you normally use? I, I understand you did three for us. Today. I'd use a full Celtic cross, 12 full cards. Celtic cross, okay. All right, and that's yeah. about nine cards, right? Ten? No, it's 12. 12 cards, okay. Yeah. All right. And uh, the only reason I didn't do that today was because I, I didn't want to bore your listeners. Oh, right. No, I thought you did a perfect job there. I think that's really cool. You're leaving that to us. Yeah, yeah, you're leaving oh, that to us. you. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I don't find the podcast boring at all. No, thank you. We're very, we're very glad. To, it's actually just such a treat to have you on here today and to talk to you in person over the over the Zoom. But uh, yeah. to have you on the podcast and and hear your voice, it feels good. I feel all refreshed now. Hey, I got a completely out of the blue different question. Oh, yes. We've been asking our listeners to share their favorite recipes. Have you got a favorite recipe? I think I know what it is. <laughs> well, go ahead. Go ahead. And, I think and, it's grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> no, 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 okay. no. I, I, have, uh, I have tons of favorite recipes in my head that I can never. I'm very proud of the chili I make, but I make various types of soups. And uh, I, one of my specialties is a maritime uh, seafood chowder. Mm. Uh, you know, years of working in the bakery that was run by the Orthodox priests and, mm -hmm. and the mission. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so I've got tons of recipes from them. And never mind bread, just the, the food that was being created in the mission to feed people. Mm. Uh, yeah. But Very if you cool. need so one, we share. We need to well, get well, you well. back on here for a seafood chowder recipe, okay? Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe in a month you'll share that with us? Maybe. You know, Maybe we'll make it together when I'm there. That, that's true esoteric knowledge, and it mm -hmm. is. But I mean, uh, I, I'm happy to talk about food, which I love just about <laughs> more than anything else. I love food. <laughs> so, the, the pandemic certainly showed just how much I love food. We're not going to talk about that. No, we're All right. not. <laughs> All right. Okay, Dr. K, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about tarot. You've given me a lot to think about. I'm going to have to go Google a bunch of stuff now. All right. All right. We'll talk and to you we soon. And we hope you're going to come back and join us again sometime soon. I hope so, too. It was an absolute blessing to talk with you <laughs> both. Love and light and all that shit. Yes. To you and your listeners. 
Yes, I agree. Lots of love and light to our listeners. Thank you. Well, Eugene, that was really a lot of fun talking to Dr. K. Uh, it, it sure was. Uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, we can get him to come back again in the future. Talk to us about some other things. He's got a lot to say. He does. He does. He's got a lot of experience. I, you know, I'm really haunted by the idea. You have a male card reader. I have male card reader from Deck of Cards. And then he said he learned from a, a lot from, from obviously all kinds of people. But both shanty song singing, card dealing, fortune reading, East Coasters really intrigued me. <laughs> For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, my bank was closed today. Why was and your bank closed today? I think someone got COVID um, because there were signs about uh, we want to protect the safety of our staff for COVID and just for a while we'll be closed until further notice. And then I went to the security guard. I went, what do you think's going on? He goes, oh, I think one of them got COVID. <laughs> they had the Rona. So wow. I don't know. The numbers are way down here, though. They had a big momentous day yesterday saying, look, we're doing this. The vaccines are working. Yeah, there's still going to be some outbreaks here and there. I think that could be expected. Yes. How about you? Well, um, case counts here in in Ontario are going down marginally, but we have a way to go. But um, we have lots more vaccines available now, Mm -hmm. and we're vaccinating people really really fast so i I think we're going to see some big changes in the coming weeks i can't wait i'm so excited do you remember one time you know we should tell some listeners sometimes we turn off um we end them the recording we end the podcast and you and i chat for a while and one day we had quite a little talk about bill gates and then later i was like why didn't we record that (laughs) not that it was great or anything but um i was saying how bill gates doesn't have any idea why there's conspiracy theories about him like he doesn't get that and it's funny when we were driving back from memphis the other day npr on the radio and the story broke that he and melissa his wife are breaking up well and then there's a the subsequent story oh. that it turns out he was um buddies with Ep- epstein yes yes thank you i just heard that last night that's why i'm bringing it up so he had all those antitrust um taking over the capitalist system in the 1990s problems and he doesn't know why people are talking about him he's you know he's obviously not the most social person now i thought melissa had said that um they had a life work balance and i'm like i think you must have noticed that when you first started dating him right (laughs) but yeah that he was friends with epstein she tried to divorce him or wanted to break up with him a few years ago yeah that's pretty creepy and um and now we've got chips in our heads I know. You know. And it's too late. It's too late. I know. So we'll find out, right? And uh, we're going to wake up like Manchurian candidates. Um, but speaking of treating women badly and conspiracies about um, women, we watched a movie that is almost like the director's cut of Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. I have a feeling maybe you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. Well, I, you know, I can't... S- Enjoy isn't exactly the right word <laughs> for this film. Um, it, the film is called Most Beautiful Island, yes. a 2017 flick that's directed by, written by, and starring uh, Anna Asinio, yes. um, who plays Luciana in the film. And it's a short feature. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. 
Um, and in this particular case, she didn't need to add any filler. She got right to the point here she, in this She film. really did. Um, I thought that my favorite part of the movie in some ways was that opening sequence on the streets of New York. Yes. Where you cannot tell. You think you're following one woman, then you are all of a sudden following another woman, and you're in the position of being a creep, hovering among other people. The camera is putting you as this voyeur right away. And um, I found that really disturbing. And at one point, we see all those women. I, I didn't go back and verify it. I was going to, but I'm pretty sure we see all those women at the party. Um, so you have a woman who's an immigrant and having a very hard time. Yes, um, I think she's an undocumented immigrant as well. Right. Right, because right. she couldn't get medical services because she didn't have papers. And I mean, she could have been a supermodel. Money. I mean, she could have got a job to be a supermodel because she was flipping gorgeous. Yes. I mean, it, I, I was like, oh my God, she is so gorgeous and so yes. talented. Her and her friend Olga were oh both God. really beautiful. And yeah. they're both working uh, a job as dressed up as chickens, um, right. selling the best chicken in the Big Apple That's in the streets cute. of New York. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she beautiful... also had a job uh, looking after these just little brats, oh, they the were worst so little kids. Can you imagine looking after those little no, brats? I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No, I, I, I was so stressed out. The, I mean, this movie reminded me of Uncut Gems because of its stress level. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> I sure. Had the right same right uncut through. Gems. It was, that's why I would say it's, I think it's a great film, yeah. but I'm not going to recommend it to anybody. Oh, I'm totally going to recommend it to that. everyone. I loved it. And I wanted to mention, you know, first of all, it was kind of weird because I took some notes, and one of them was the red and the, the chicken costume. And right away, you know, I always think of Strozek. I always think of Werner Herzog. But the end of Strozek has dancing chickens. And here you have the beginning of the movie, Dancing Chickens. And it does turn out to be a statement about the American dream. And as does Strozek. So I thought that was really funny. But what's with the red and, there was the red and white chicken outfit? I know, red and yellow chicken costumes, dressed like those toy chickens that you get in a joke store. And they had them taped on their back. And then she had a backpack that was also red and yellow. Almost like a caution light and a stop sign. I don't know, a stoplight? I was trying to figure out what does that mean, you know? And that's so a very... This, this, this film yeah. deals with um, a part of the life of, of this character, uh, Luciana. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to make ends meet. Something tragic has happened back home, yes, wherever yes. that is. And they don't tell you where it is. Oh, no. no. Um, but she comes from some place in which something tragic and terrible happened and she blames herself for it and she mm -hmm. feels like she can't breathe wherever right. she came from. And so she came to New York to create a new life, mm -hmm. land of opportunity, the American dream and mm -hmm. all of that. And she's broke and she, uh, she hasn't got enough money for rent. She's trying to scrape things together. And then her friend Olga says, hey, you know, I do these jobs at parties where all you have to do is look pretty but i can't make it tonight mm -hmm. can you sub for me mm -hmm. and you get two thousand dollars right like what an opportunity right it oh and, like and olga idea. says oh and it's not what you think so the first thing i thought she was saying is you i mean you're not going to be a prostitute right you're not going to be a sex worker right you're right. going to, um, she said you have to dress nice in a cocktail dress and high heels so right away you do think of eyes wide shut and you do think of Epstein and these cults of people that Stanley Kubrick warned us about, year, you know, years before it came out, um, that they're going to be out there at these sex parties. 
And um, and then it turns out that it wasn't quite that. There no, wasn't but it was certainly a, a kind of a party in which uh, rich gamblers, mm-hmm. um, rich gamblers, what can you say? I don't want to give away the, the, the film, no. um, but they, uh, they uh, have a cruel game, a tremendously they, cruel game at the expense of these women. I'm going to say we go from chicken dancing to cockfighting, basically, but it's very psychological. It's extremely psychological, and it contains what I'm going to say is the creepiest <laughs> 10 minutes in film. It was very uncomfortable. It was so terrible. It was terrible. extremely, excruciatingly yeah. uncomfortable. And I'm going to put it up there as up here. I think women are killing it right now. Um, you've got Promising Young Women. I'm going to put it next to that. And um, I thought it was a brilliant film. I loved it. And yeah, I don't want to ruin it. I think, I think we can't ruin this film. I texted that the other day and posted on Instagram. I don't think we can ruin this film because it's so tense and so uncomfortable. We're pretty good at ruining films, though. We are, blowing all the plot twists and all the things going on. I I just thought the filmmaking was really, really good. Very experienced. It reminded me of Clute as well. And um, just with that spine, creepy feelings, you know? Well, yeah. I was afraid even in the bathtub. There's a bathtub scene. It shouldn't be frightening at all. Oh, my goodness, the bathtub scene. That was right up there with the creepiest 10 minutes of film. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, It reminded me of The Tenant and Roman Polanski's The Tenant. It it just had everything you could ever make. So I think it was a masterpiece of work for a first film. um, If it had been a 10th film, her 10th film, maybe you wouldn't give it such. But for her first film, coming out the gates like that. I agree. It's a fabulous film. Um, And I'm not going to say I won't recommend it. I'm going to say I'm going to recommend it with a lot of reservations. This film is not for everyone. (laughs) I know you said you were glad that some people didn't watch it. Well, I I really want everyone to watch it. And I think it's very interesting and and, and super well made. I I know there's going to be something else I want to say about it. And I'm probably going to remember that. It's certainly a film about the dark side of the American dream. Uh Uh-huh. Definitely. And uh, I think if you go into it knowing that, I think you can set yourself up for getting through the film. It is so tense. It is so tense. And I mean, the same way. And and also, there's a couple lines at the end of the film that the hostess says that are even creepier than the events in the film. And, And she was a great performer as well. I thought she was amazing. So... Uh, yeah, go go watch this, but know what you're getting into. Yeah, for sure. Know what you're getting into. Take it's available on you. Prime right mm-hmm. now. Yep, yep. Um, it's gritty. It's chilling. It's ominous. It's creepy. It's and strangely it's, compelling. And it's I couldn't realistic. take my eyes off it. Um, it deals with a secret underbelly of New York <laughs> and the dark side of the American dream. Uh, it's quite brilliant. Um, I haven't stopped thinking about it since I watched it yesterday. Um, You know, and the the tension, there's there's a point at which everything gets really dark and there's something is going on behind a door. What could it be? What could be going on there? And in a way, when you get beyond the door, it's it's hard for it to not be anticlimactic, but they really worked at it. They really worked it, and I think that was part of it. I really, I, I what a gift um, in she had for capturing those moments and then having them edited into such a good tense story. I, I mean, really, honestly, she, she get it did get awards. It's, it had a lot of uh, credit, 
I've tried to see. I think she's got something else coming out. I hope so because she's a fascinating performer, fascinating actor. She, the camera loves her. She is just incredibly gorgeous. And everyone in it was very good. The, um, the woman that conducted this um, event was really, really good. And I loved it. And uh, yeah, New York City, speaking of New York City, um, I've been watching The Housewives of New York. And, you know, I watch my reality shows and it's really, really good because I've been pretty excited because I've talked about Revolt News on here before and Black News on Revolt TV. And the, one of the hosts of that is Ebony K. Williams. And she's speaking of amazing, uh, inspiring women. She is one of them. And she has joined the cast of Andy Cohen's uh, Real Housewives of New York. And uh, she's really bringing some good excitement into that story. I don't know if we have any listeners that watch reality TV like I do. We certainly haven't had any email of people who are Housewives fans. If you are, come on, change your name. I won't read your name out. Oh, which reminds me, I have a letter for us. Hold on. Okay, yeah. I've got email. I forgot to uh, have it ready. I'm just all over the place. This is the day where we run around on, on the podcast and leave the microphones. Okay, so um, we have a little bit of a letter. Um, yes, Candy, I love soul. And as it appeals to you, it would make a great subject for a Candy Eugene podcast, which for once I'd be able to appreciate knowing the work you were talking about. <laughs> Similarly, most beautiful island, assuming you like it. I was very surprised you had not heard of a matter of life and death since I think of you as an encyclopedia of film knowledge. I have a mixed feelings about it, but it is generally ranked very high on the list of British films. So I looked it up on Wikipedia, and guess what? In America, it was released as Stairway to Heaven, which I never knew. A much better title, I think. Soul seems to have so much behind it. The title can stand for both spirit and a musical genre, which is neat. Just as Frozen is a neat title, but the Pixar Disney film it obviously resembles most is Inside Out other connections. The animation of the spirits, so like the rather flat animation films from the 50s and 60s, like Gerald McBoing-Boing and Moonbird, but as if Picasso was the animator. Wings of Desire and Bill and Ted Cheating Death, and also Black Orpheus, with the idea of the next world as a gigantic bureaucracy. In Greek mythology, this other world can be explored and you can try to cheat it. The Asitheus myth, and more importantly, Eurydice. The power of music taking you to it, used by Orpheus and finally in Soul, and like Soul, the underworld of the Greeks controlled by a small number of powerful spirits, Hades, Sharon, Minos, Sarpedion, and Ramamanthus, and the idea of this plays being a huge active system of command and control, which you find in Milton and Dante. Ruth thought how the film seemed to suggest a psychology of character formation. I thought it was a challenge to the materialist atheist brigade, who don't believe in souls or minds either for that matter. Interesting that the Hollywood films that really make me think are cartoon films for children. Do children understand soul? But I'm only scratching the surface here. Enough for now, enjoy Richard III. Because we're doing, um, I'm doing a discussion. He mentions that because he's doing a, I'm doing a, leading a discussion on Richard III on Goodreads, if anyone wants to join us. But he adds on, he said, sure, read the pod, read on the podcast, if you will, and however you like. But it would be nice just to hear you and Eugene bouncing ideas off each other. You gel so well together. Love, Martin. So it's kind of a letter to us to request us to watch the movie Soul, which I'm going to mail to you next week. Excellent, because I, I tried to, to find it here. I wasn't able to get at it. Yeah, I'll mail it to you. I'll, I'll courier it, so you should get it by Monday or Tuesday. Okay, that sounds okay. great. I'm anyway, looking forward I, to watching it. 
Yeah, I thought that was really cool that he got into it, and then he told us that he listens to the podcast, but he never knows what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> hey, it's like we know what the hell we're talking about? No, not at all. No. <laughs> well, we do talk about a lot of different films, and I guess they haven't come across his way. He's very classically um, trained and studied. So, you know, I like, I, I, I would really like, and that's the other movie is Inside Out. If you can watch that this week, that's an amazing movie. Inside and I know I've mentioned I know I've mentioned it to you several times. It takes sometimes many times mentioning it to me before I get around there to it. There you go. There you go. And have you been too disappointed so far? No, not too disappointed. <laughs> Occasionally disappointed. Uh, okay. But, you, but when I am disappointed, you know. Yes, I do. You do not hide that. You're not a shy guy. And I like it that he tells us that you gel. You gel so well together. <laughs> because I mean, most days I am the podcast curmudgeon. <laughs> Well, you had a run for your money today, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and in which case, we might even want to talk that um, we're, we've got another guest today. We had Dr. K at the beginning. And now we're going to have my friend Rick in, in Miami for the Comfort Food Diner. Right? Yes, we are. And, okay. you know, we've been asking our listeners for their recipes. Keep, keep them coming in. Keep them coming. Uh, so you can send your recipes to theagency.podcast.gmail.com. Or if you want to come on the, the show and uh, talk about your recipe, give us your best pitch. That's right. And so we did manage to get Rick to come on, and, and we hope you enjoy hearing his uh, recipe for Chicago beef sandwich. Five, four, <laughs> three, two, one. Okay. Hi, we're here with Rick Wallach in Miami, who hosted Stag and I uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I've known Rick from about 25 years ago on the Cormac McCarthy Forum. And when we were in Miami, he made these killer Chicago beef sandwiches. Um, so I want him to come on the show and talk about it with us. And I'm going to introduce him to Eugene in a second. In the meantime, Rick is an academic. He was a professor at the University of Miami. He's an expert on Cormac McCarthy, Godzilla and the Cowboy Junkies, but he also makes a damn fine Chicago beef sandwich. Um, Rick, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's so nice to be here. <laughs> and please meet Eugene Napick here I'm on the other end. Free-floating like this, it's fantastic. <laughs> Hi, Rick, nice to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Who are you? <laughs> My That's name's Eugene. Eugene, I'm Candy's co-host. Okay. <laughs> There's all kinds of people here. No, it's just the three of us. Let's talk about Chicago beef sandwiches. It was amazing. Hi, Rowena. That would be Rick's wife in the background, who has a name that appears in the script to the counselor. I always believe that McCarthy put that in there on purpose. Um, listen, Rick, tell us about that Chicago beef sandwich, please. Hmm. Well, I, I attended the University of Chicago back in the... That's right. Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> you know, Petoskey stones were still forming in the substrate. Uh huh. <laughs> and and didn't you like didn't you like going to the art institute to the basement? No, it, it was um, it was the I don't know what year exactly it was, but it was the year after the uh, the great snowstorm. You know, the Bolandic killer when all of the uh, all of the snow plows in Chicago suddenly broke down at the same time. <laughs> and uh, 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 there was a restaurant in Hyde Park, the name of which I don't even remember anymore, uh, oh. that served me my first Chicago beef sandwich. Okay. 
and I was I was taken with it. Um, <clears throat> and in the years since, of course, uh, nostalgia for these things has pursued me everywhere I've gone. <laughs> and after a while, you know, even nostalgia can fall asleep. Right. But mm -hmm. last year, my son-in-law uh, and my and my daughter. Uh, went to Chicago for uh, a conference or something, and they discovered Chicago beef sandwiches, probably at a more reputable uh, restaurant than I did. And then um, my son-in-law asked, because he knows that I like to cook, do you know how to make Chicago beef sandwiches? Mm -hmm. And I had to admit, I had to do a little research, but uh, that was about seven or eight months ago. Uh, and in that time, I've done extensive research into the various ways of making taco <laughs> beef sandwiches. And what I'm about to give you is the fruit of all my research and my, my selectivity on the matter. Excellent. Now, you can take a big lump of eye round, you know, beef eye round, and okay. slow cook it for hours and hours and hours and then pick it apart and fill your sandwich with it. Mm -hmm. Or you can do what I do, which is I have a local butcher, mm -hmm. shave uh, three to five pounds of eye round for me into very thin, big, thin slices. And I bring those home and uh, I let them come to room temperature. He's got to freeze the eye round so he gets clean shaving pieces. Right? Right. Uh, and then I take a great big skillet, uh, the kind that you that has uh, heat resistant <laughs> handles, so that okay. you can cook on the stove top or put them put the whole thing in the, you know underneath in the uh, in the oven. Right. Uh, I add olive oil, mm -hmm. and I add a, a pretty good amount of minced garlic. I would say six or seven cloves worth of crushed minced garlic and diced onion and i bring them uh i i cook them at a, a simmer temperature until the onions are translucent and the whole kitchen smells of garlic and at that point i start layering in the uh the uh, shaved beef and then i close the uh the lid uh, and i let the beef brown slightly mm -hmm. to start to release its own juices. And now comes the good part. Mm -hmm. I take two heaping tablespoons full, and now we've got two pounds of beef in the skillet. Okay. I, okay. I take two heaping table, tablespoons full of uh, McCormick Italian seasoning, mm. mixed, mixed Italian seasoning, and I sprinkle it over the beef and I stir the beef, flip it over, and I close it again and let it brown a little more. And then uh, I summon Mickey Mouse and his broomsticks to begin uh -huh. the liquid. And uh, we start with a jar of Chicago-style Gardniera, you know, pickled mm -hmm. vegetables. Right. There are numbers of strengths. You can get mild, you can get sweet, you can get hot, you get hot and sweet. I use hot and sweet. And I don't put the vegetables in yet. I simply, uh, you know, I open the lid a little bit, oh. pull the juice out, 
And oh, the, you're just pouring the juice in. How much? Yes, I'm not using the vegetables yet because I don't want to cook the vegetables for three or four hours and have them turn to mush. Mm-hmm. You know, half the joy of real Italian beef sandwiches crunching into those vegetables when mm-hmm. you bite into the sandwich. Then I take a small jar also of hot and sweet ring sliced banana peppers and I drain that into the skillet. Then I add about a quarter to a third of a cup of beef broth, about a third of a cup of red wine, and uh, I, I close the I close the lid, stir it again, and let everything cook slowly, low temperature. Okay? You just want to see the liquid bubbling, okay? Just barely. I just leave it alone for hours. At low temperature and just let it cook down. Now, I think if you cooked wood chips that way, they'd be yummy. Yeah, they would. Yeah, you, you know, like, <laughs> whenever I have a t- termites over for dinner, I always. <laughs> and anyway, um, yeah, uh, the carpenter ants are not are not appreciative. You know, they don't make spices very much. Anyway, uh, when I'm about an hour away from finished, you know, with cooking the meat, I take a bunch of those oblong-shaped, crusty rolls, mm-hmm. right? They're about eight, seven to nine inches long, crusty. They have to have nice crusts. Mm-hmm. They won't stand up to this. Split them in half, and then I use a fork to, to clean out uh, some of the uh, bread from inside the roll, okay? Mm-hmm. Lay the rolls open, butterflied. Oh, I forget, pardon me. About about an hour earlier, I had taken a handful, maybe a dozen or more, garlic cloves with the paper still on and thrown them into the juice. So they've been cooking for an hour, an hour and a half. As I open up the rolls, I sprinkle the insides of the rolls with about Ah, uh, maybe a tablespoon of olive oil each. Then I fish out using a slotted spoon uh, these uh, these poached garlic cloves, and it's wonderful. They're like a, a birthday cake icing applicator. You know, you don't even have to peel them anymore. You just take them from the from the wide end and pinch them, and the melted garlic will simply squirt out onto the bread. And you spread that with a butter knife. And then take a handful of mozzarella cheese or provolone, your choice. Uh, spread it on the bread thickly. Mm-hmm. Put the bread in the toaster and brown it till the cheese melts and browns a little bit. Wow. Take the bread out. By the time you're finished with all of this, mm-hmm. the meat's ready, okay? Yeah. And you take, uh, I, I take a, a, a big pair of, of uh, you know, barbecue forceps. <laughs> and I scoop the meat out and I, I fill each half, you know, each, each roll with the meat. And then I sprinkle more mozzarella and provolone over the top. And I close the roll tight. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I slice it in half. <laughs> a, uh, you know, with my uh, with my katana, right. I get down off the wall. You know, I go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and so they are remarkable. I also have a scale model of the Tonto, you know, the little, the little dagger that Dr. Sarazawa used to cut his airlines at the end of Godzilla. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's like a sacred object, and I don't use that on rolls. So okay. Fair enough. Anyway, uh, at this point, you are faced with the kind of choice that a real Chicago lander uh, has to make and that an Auschlander will sometimes be scr you know, scratching his head about, and that is how much juice do you want to spoon out of that pan and pour over the, you know, you, you reopen the roll, how much of that juice you want to pour over the meat. Mm -hmm. Which uh, would make it like a dip. Yeah, it, it, well, that, that's, see, this is the thing. You'll always spot somebody who has been cut off <laughs> from his spiritual sources in faraway Chicago because he will take the whole damn sandwich and just drown it in the juice. I can see that. Yeah. It's a Chicagoan. Uh, what you get, I'm afraid, under those circumstances, and I don't care how crusty it is, uh, is a kind of a mess I wouldn't send down the pipe to the, to the recycling plant. <laughs> um, but you definitely need a spoon to eat it. I yeah, I use I, about a tablespoon of juice. Yep. That that more than saturates the roll without you know turning it into mush. Mm -hmm. And then you're you know you're you're ready to leave the world of pain and suffering. <laughs> Uh, and dig into one of these sandwiches. Yeah, they are so good. And I guess I think your secret is pouring that juice right out of the jar into the into the cooking because I I don't know if the restaurants do that. That you know these uh, Al's beef or nice. Chicago beef they're everywhere in Chicago. Oh, I hope I made it clear that about a half hour before you're done cooking, add the vegetables from the garden. Yes, there yes, you did. Yeah. And when you make the sandwich, you can always add. A few of the hot banana pepper rings, right. if you like a sandwich to kick you in the in the teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and in Chicago, they 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 like that. They like a belligerent. <laughs> That's so true, so true. Well, thank you. That that really is helpful. I can't wait to make it. I think I, I'm up. really hungry. I want to make that immediately. I know. Me too. Where's Stag? I, is is Stag there? Just let me get him. Hold on. Okay. He's around. I did warn uh, Eugene that it could be taken well, I just, I just, Yeah, I just wanted him to testify. Uh, oh, yeah. Can you testify about the uh, Chicago beef? Whoops. Come here. Oh, he can't. He thinks he broke the uh, headphones. <laughs> I saw his eyes roll up in his head. His eyes did roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he loved it. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I, I would say you can't go wrong with these things, but you can. Yeah. You know, you really can. And, um, I've had a couple at local Italian restaurants that advertised themselves as Chicago beef. Right. You know, and they were kind of like a you know, a French dip from Arby's. Uh, <laughs> Ew. Oh, yeah. dear. Um, there's a place on Taylor Street that I really, really like. I forgot the name of it. It's an Italian bakery. They've got cannolis and everything, and they make a great um, Al's beef. And you know where else I had a great Al's beef? Uh, not Al's beef. I mean, the beef, uh, a Chicago beef sandwich was in the airport in Vegas, of all places. 
Yeah. It was really good. Yeah, it really depends on the personal touch of the person making it. Yeah, that, I mean, the, the, the beef sandwich is, is one of the few things that I brought back with me from the University of Chicago, <laughs> aside from a couple of dumb anecdotes about uh, Saul Bellow and things okay. like that. Um, <laughs> can I tell a Saul Bellow anecdote? Please do. Right here? Oh, yeah. Please do. Okay, uh, Saul Bellow is a nice Jewish boy from, um, from Montreal, you know. Yep. Uh, and his mother always wanted him to be a doctor. Uh, instead, he became a Nobel Prize winning novelist. And he was teaching at the University of Chicago when I was there. And, uh, or lecturing, I should say. His graduate assistants did all the grading for him. Mm -hmm. But uh, th there's a story going around there that when he won the Nobel Prize, the University of Chicago gave him an honorary doctorate. And okay. he had his mother flown down for the for the, for the presentation. And after they handed him the doctorate, he came down to the audience with his robes and his hat, his tassel. And he waved the rolled up doctorate under his mother's nose. And he said, well, Ma, you finally got your wish. I'm a doctor after all. <laughs> and his mom and his mother looked up at him and said, don't get so carried away with yourself, Sully. You're not a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's always someone who wants to take you. Yeah, that's the kind of thing I brought back with me from Chicago. Yeah. There you go. The beef sandwich. There you go. Um, now come back next week and we'll talk about making stuffed spinach pizza. All right. Uh, that sounds good. We well, can do we'll, that. We'll arrange that. Okay, thanks, Rick. And thanks for joining us and, and your family and your, your friends and pets and everything else that we can hear in the background. <laughs> yeah, it's really too bad tegus don't make any noise, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. You know, we should mention that um, Rick has a bit of a, an archaeological project or botany project. He's got a lot of, he, he's an animal lover. He's got a tegu. What else do you have? Why don't you just quickly tell us some of the animals you live with? I have an enormous albino snapping turtle. Yes. <coughs> which is, his, whose name is The Judge. <laughs> <laughs> And, and what was your former um, tenant, the uh, baby rattlesnake? What was his name? I'm sorry, the what? The baby rattlesnake. What was his name? Oh, Frendo. Yes. Frendo. <laughs> no, I didn't name him Frendo. No, no you didn't. When I, when, I, when I got him, and he was really, he's a pygmy rattlesnake, very tiny, small mm -hmm. enough to curl up on a, on a 50 cent piece. Oh, um, I brought him home, and I wanted to give him a name. So I went to the Cormac McCarthy website and I said, you know, announcing the name Rick's Rattlesnake Contest, the, the winner will get a homemade raspberry cheesecake. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the winner was some lawyer from Schenectady who said, oh, you've got to call it Frendo. And, and of course he was right. Once right. I saw that, I said, yeah, what else can you call it? Exactly. And he got the cheesecake. Uh, so How did you do that? How did you get that cheesecake? Uh, well, that's complicated. That's a lot of. We don't have time for that today. Okay, that's another guest spot. That's we want the we want spot. the cheesecake that's recipe. Raspberry cheesecake, but I froze it, uh, wrapped it, wrapped it tight. In fact, I shrink wrapped it, and uh, and I FedExed it up to him, so it got to him in one piece. Pretty crazy. And it was the middle of the winter, so you know, uh, the cheesecake hadn't thawed much. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was that was that was good fun. All right. Well, thank and you again. Friendo, oh, sorry. Frendo stayed with me for 11 years. Oh, yeah. 
He died last uh, last last fall. And eleven years, uh, he just died of old age. Yeah. Uh, the average lifespan of a pygmy rattlesnake is eight years. Frendo made it to eleven. So wow. I, I guess we were doing something right. Yeah, you must have been. I know when we stayed with you and he was only a couple of years old, I, I had trouble sleeping at first because I, all I could think about was there was a rattlesnake right, you know, a, a snake right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but we, we've got lots of other snakes here, so. I know. There's you know, we've, no got py, we've got pythons. <laughs> we, we love our pythons. Don't yeah. let them kid you. They make it sound like we're upset because they're eating our dogs. We love <laughs> We love our pythons. Yes. yes. All right. And on, on that, that note. <laughs> on that note, we'll talk to you again soon, Rick. Thank you. Okay, my love. Take care.